A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky Morning. How's everybody doing? Great. All right. We're awake. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 10 as we continue our time through the Word. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will get one to you. As always, we like to encourage you to have your actual physical Bible with you. That way, in case internet goes down or anything like that, we actually know how to find these books in our Word. So have your Bible, bring it with you, and we're going to go verse by verse through the whole thing together. Amen. Uh, my name is Ricky. I'm the pastor here for those of you who are new. So welcome to you. Welcome to those of you who are viewing online. And we're going to pick up in Matthew 10, 16. And if you were here last week, we covered uh, Matthew 8 or 10, 8 through 15. And Jesus sends the 12 part 3. And for those of you who've been wondering why I've been titling them part 1, 2, and 3, and 4, is that in this specific commission, we're still in the same conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples about what they should do, and what they should be prepared for as they do begin to step out on their own with the aid of the Holy Spirit in ministry. And so last week, as we looked at these verses, we saw that it was part three, and Jesus is encouraging them as much as is able, be worry-free and full of blessings. We see that Jesus encouraged them not to take more than what was necessary, not to seek out the wealthy, but to seek out the worthy, to bless those who would bless them, and when things do get difficult, to let God deal with the difficult individual. And then today, we move into part four as Jesus begins to encourage them, or not encourage them, but warn them of the turbulent life that is coming their way. And so today's teaching is entitled, Jesus Sends the Twelve, Part Four, um, also Hold On tight. Now, <clears throat> as we're putting the message together, I was thinking through it, and I don't know how many of you have ever been on a roller coaster, but there is an enjoyable way to ride a roller coaster, and there is a not-so-enjoyable way to ride the roller coaster. They give you these bars and handles for a reason, and I don't know how many of you have ever tried to ride one without holding on tight to those bars. You're going to go just as fast as everybody else, but you might be concussed by the time you get to the end of the ride. It seems a whole lot less fun, especially for those of you who have actually been on one of those. How many of you have been on the really old wood ones? A handful. Yeah, those are not fun. I did not enjoy that experience at all. That was not smooth. But you're given these things so that you can hold on, enjoy the ride, and make sure that you're not jostled more than what is absolutely necessary. And so similarly today, we're going to see Jesus encourage the disciples as they do step out into ministry to be prepared for the jostling and the trouble that is going to come. And we'll see this encouragement to hold on tight at the end. And we're going to be encouraged to make sure that we're holding on to our Savior dearly, to abide in Christ, because we're going to be jostled. But we need to make sure that we're not being rocked more than is absolutely necessary, that enduring would be bearable with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
So if you're in chapter 10, verse 16, would you say amen? amen. It says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, if they have called the master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So this teaching, hold on tight. <clears throat> In the first couple verses, 16 through 18, and I apologize, we're going to read again just so that you guys can track with me where I'm at. So 16 through 18 reads, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and Gentiles. The first note we have is let's be clear. I might even edit that now to say let's be very clear. Jesus starts off this next section with this word behold, which is an emphatic statement to make sure that he grabs their attention to ensure that they do not overlook this part. Jesus is preparing the disciples and while we're not in Israel ministering, we can take this and have the same understanding ourselves is that there is trouble coming from those who I am sending you to be ministers to. Disciples, church, behold, trouble is coming. This is a proclamation to make sure that we understand the gravity of what he is about to say moving forward. Before you go, you have to know this. You will not always rest upon a mountaintop. You may come to understand literally the valley as the shadow of death. Now, brothers and sisters, I would say that as time continues to move forward, even almost especially within the church, we are being taught a very different idea than this. Is that there is even some who would teach the Christian that if suffering has fallen upon them, then they have come to lack faith. 
that if trouble has come into their life, especially from the exterior, then they must be doing something wrong. And we're going to get to that because we certainly can cause our own trouble. But Jesus is making it very clear for a Christian to walk in obedience, the world will come against you. We have been taught and we have been trained for some reason to think that if the Christian isn't always on the mountaintop, then God is very, very far. If the Christian isn't having a mountaintop experience, then who is it that they're worshiping and who is it that they're following? But I would say as we read through this section, this certainly does not read like a mountaintop experience. This sounds like something that we ought to be prepared for. We use this phrase, the the valley of the shadow of death, often, but we haven't considered that some of us here, maybe even in this room, might face that literal reality that it is a shadow of death. That there are times in life where there will be nothing but trouble around us apart from the Holy Spirit. And so church, I would ask and say, because some of this does come with obedience. Now let me take that a step back. I would have us consider, if we live a life wholly apart from suffering, it might be more true to say Who is it that we're following? Because if Jesus was hated by those he would minister to, the Jesus that we read about in the Bible, not this strange one that some try to tell us about, that Jesus is love and love is love. If Jesus was in fact hated, why do we live a life where we might not be hated by anybody? Might it be that our lives lack truth? and righteousness and holiness. To follow Jesus means we need to be prepared for the trouble that's going to come because the world will despise the message that we move out with. And as we may be despised, and remember this isn't at all times, but it is certainly at some, he gives us three directives. Church disciples, you are to be wise as serpents. Now, As we look at that phrase, I would say that we need to be careful that we wouldn't be deceitful. Church, being wise as a serpent does not permit you to be deceitful, but it does require you to be wise, to not be foolish, to be planned, to be prepared. And so we have to ask, are we prepared for the things that are coming? When trouble comes, do we try to evade trouble with words of deceit and lies? Being wise as serpents is a call to be wise. It's a call to be knowledgeable, a call to be planned. Not so planned that we can't bend with the circumstances that require it, but it means that we need to be ready. But it certainly does not mean, and I think we conflate the two when we speak about serpents, it does not mean that the Christian is permitted to live a life in any context in falsehood. And then we see the call to be innocent as doves, not suffering as fools or hypocrites. As we see riddled throughout Scripture, this call to be innocent, this call to be truthful, this call to be honest, 
brothers and sisters, if persecution's going to come, let's be persecuted for being innocent and holy and not persecuted because we're being fools and not persecuted because we're being angry and causing trouble. There are many who, (laughs) I think we might know who some of these are, who would say that trouble has fallen onto their life and they don't know why. I don't know how any of you ever have a friend or a family member who just life is always falling apart. And you may, not, you may not have said it yet, but the day will come when it's like, have you considered that maybe you are the problem in all of these circumstances? How many, how many troublesome circumstances need to happen before you, don't, before you begin to consider the common denominator might be you? But this here is calling the Christian to be innocent. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to be a pleasant aroma everywhere that we would go. And that he calls us to be innocent as doves so that when we are persecuted, we would be persecuted for righteousness' sake. This means, most plainly, that when the world strives for self-pleasure and sin we would become outcasts for living for holiness. It means that we don't back down as much as the world might hate it for God's standard of living, his standard for excellence. Now, that does not mean that the Christian does it perfectly. Who in here is the perfect Christian? Okay, so we're at least functioning in honesty right now. But... While we strive for it, and we know we're not going to be perfect, the world can see that we certainly do strive. The world would see that as we strive for holiness and righteousness, when we do fall, that we would ask for forgiveness. And that they would see us begin to change and be more like Christ. Have you you thought about, have you ever portrayed repentance to the world that's around you? The world sees you do wrong, whether you like to admit it or not, but how often do they see you walk out repentance? How often do they see you ask for forgiveness? How often do they see you walk in a humble manner so that your testimony would be undeniable? Scripture isn't calling us to live for, to live perfectly, but it's calling us to strive for holiness. And as we do that, this final one is to beware of men. We even touched on this last week that not every pleasant interaction is going to yield a fruitful relationship. Brothers and sisters, as we go out into this world, we need to be cautious of the men and women who are not of the faith. Why? We're going out and proclaiming to, we're proclaiming the gospel to a world that is hostile to it. Now here in this country, we are only beginning to see the tastes of hostility. There are other parts of the world where hostility is much more prevalent and it is actually dangerous. That you do need to be cunning in how you would proclaim the gospel. and You need to be wise in how you would try to raise someone in the word that you wouldn't put your life or theirs in danger. That you need to be aware that not every friendly circumstance actually wants to see you made well, but they want to see what they can get from you or see what they can do to you. Last year, we hosted 
an event. I'm not sure how many of you remember. We hosted this event called the American Renewal Project where we had some pastors and some political leaders here charge local pastors to begin to bring the gospel back into the community and to be leaders not just within the church but outside of the church as well. As the word began to grow about this particular event, you would, <laughs> it's amazing how many people want to be your friend in a circumstance like that, or at least portray themselves to be a friend in a circumstance like that. But then as we would be prayerful and slow, we would find that there were some who wanted to be friends so that they could twist words and spread lies in the community and they would be barred from an event like that. There's news channels that wanted to come into the church that we kept out because they had a history and a record of lying and chopping things up to make us all say things that we don't say. Brothers and sisters, beware that not everybody actually agrees with holiness. Not everybody actually wants to see a world made well according to the gospel. That there are some who actually want to see the gospel eradicated from the world that we live in now. Not every interaction and certainly not every pleasant one at the beginning is going to yield heavenly fruit, but it might yield demonic and rotten fruit that might put you and your family not just in physical danger, but in spiritual danger as well. Those of you who are parents here with your young ones, beware of men. Beware of others who would try to corrupt your children with things contrary to the word of God. I can't tell you the amount of testimonies we have heard when parents would send their kids to go spend the night at somebody else's house just to hear that once the children were out of earshot of them, the other families would try to introduce things that they would never, ever allow. Why is that? These other families might be pleasant to your face, but what is the motive to see children turned against their own parents? Brothers and sisters, the enemy is real, and we are to be wise. We are to be cautious, and we are to be innocent in all of our ways as well. And so verses 19 through 20, they read, <clears throat> When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The note here is, look who's talking. No, I'm not referring to John Travolta's 80s movie. We're speaking about the Holy Spirit. This is one of my favorite texts in Scripture. This brings so much comfort to those who would move forward and walk in obedience according to the gospel. It should bring, any, it should bring comfort to any faithful and obedient believer. I'm going to add a side note to this particular text. This is one of those verses that really only applies to the believer who is in fact walking in obedience to our call of evangelism and disciple making. The Holy Spirit here provides words for the persecuted. And if you aren't or if you aren't persecuted, it may be because we are not standing for anything. 
the comfort of this verse might escape the lukewarm Christian. Brothers and sisters, how many, actually, and I'm going to raise my hand on this because it's certainly been in my past. How many of you have ever been afraid to move forward with the call to evangelize and make disciples? We got half of a bold room here. Congratulations to those of you who are fearless. Now, for those of us who have some of that fear and anxiety within us, When we move forward, one of the things I hear most often and one of the things I would hear myself think all the time is what in the world am I going to say should they give me the opportunity to share the gospel? And it's not just a, oh, what am I going to say? But it's a, I'm kind of scared of what it is I would say. I'm not going to have the words. I don't know how to be encouraging. How do I make sure I'm not condemning? How do I make sure that I am proclaiming the gospel both in word and truth? It can be a daunting thought. It can be even more daunting when you realize that you might be prepared or the Lord might be preparing you to share the gospel with somebody who will bar you from your life should you do so. The fear of losing a friend or the fear of losing a relationship. All of this comes with this moment and in this interaction. Anxiety certainly comes in tow. But here, Jesus is telling these disciples, when you fall into this moment, Don't be worried right now what you will say. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the exact words you need in that moment. Stop planning a perfect pitch and let the perfect God speak through you. This is a heavy burden that is removed from the Christians should they move forward in obedience. And if the word is true, and the word is true, as we are called to move forward in this kind of obedience, trust and know that God will use you. When we say that God is going to use you, should you have the faith to take one step at a time, this is what we mean. You don't need a doctorate in theology to be used by God. In the book of Acts, it says that these, the people could even tell these were uneducated men, except they noticed that they had walked with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you walk with Jesus, you will be used by him. And you will be used by him in ways that you wouldn't even imagine. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. This word anxious is to experience worry or unease and nervousness typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. It's an interesting definition because it implies that we can, it implies that we can install worry to everything. Guys, can we admit that we as people are really good at worrying, finding a way to worry about anything and all things? Well, here in particular, Jesus says, don't worry Last week, we see Jesus tell them, don't worry about what you will bring. I'll take care of that too. And now he's saying, don't worry about what you would even say. I'll take care of that as well. Don't be anxious. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18 reads like this. It says, now who is there to harm you? If you are zealous, or sorry, let me rephrase. Let me go back. I read that wrong. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a good reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, notice that when you are, not if, when you are slandered, those who will revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 1 Peter 3, 13-18. Guys, we do not have to worry about what we're going to say. And not only does Scripture tell us this, and we see the final words of the disciples as their lives would come to an end, as we, especially if you get into the book of Acts, but history would prove this to be true as well. Some of you may be familiar with this name, but for those of you who are not and are taking notes here, we're going to look at Ignatius of Antioch. Now, this was a believer who was about to be martyred for his faith, The emperor was in Asia Minor, and he arrested Ignatius. And when the bishop confessed his faith in Christ, the emperor sent him in chains to Rome to die. He sent him to the Colosseum that he would be murdered in front of everyone there to spectate the sport. The public spectacles were about to close when Ignatius arrived, and he was hustled to the arena and at once thrown to two fierce lions who immediately devoured him. And this happened on October 17th, 107. But that's not the crazy part of the story. Ignatius tried to escape zero times. He willingly let the shackles be put on his hands. He was willingly placed into the cart, sent to Rome, walked to the Colosseum. But while he was on his way there, our brother would write this to make sure that not only, actually, it's interesting, he wrote this to make sure nobody would try to interfere with what was about to be done of the church. Like, you guys, if you find this, I'm going to pass this to you if you try to save me. Don't save me. But this was found later. My desires are crucified. The warmth of my body is gone. A stream flows whispering inside me, Deep within me it says, Come to the Father. Near to the sword, I am near to God. In the company of wild in the company of wild beasts, I am in the company with God. Only let all that happens to me be in the name of Jesus Christ, so that we may suffer with him. I can endure all things if he enables me. I am God's wheat. May I be ground by the teeth of the wild beast until I become the fine white bread that belongs to Christ. That's a stillness that only the Lord can provide a person as they face impending death. Those are sweet words of comfort that God would provide to him to remind him that it's going to be okay. He would reflect on the words of God to know that this might be pain for a moment, but it leads to life everlasting. Ignatius was given the words in that moment. 
And people came to salvation at his death because of the words he wrote. Then we move on to verse 21. It reads, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Our note here is enduring for salvation. This is an alarming section of Scripture as it implies that the bond of family might not be as thick as we all thought it was. The idea that brother would turn in brother, that parents would turn in their own children, and children would see their families turned over to death because of their love for the Lord. Ignatius is a prime example of this. In faith, Family may not be our thickest blood. Church, I really want you to consider this for a moment. In Scripture, we are called to make sure that we care for our families first and foremost. However, that is only as much as they will allow us to do so. But Jesus installed the church that we would have comfort and aid among one another when family would be lacking. When you read the gospel, or not the gospel, but the book of Acts, you see the birth of the church. The birth of the church was created by outcasts who were outcast by their family. They didn't have anything left. Everything was gone. The church in Jerusalem would thrive because those who had something would bring anything extra they had to care for those who had been removed from everything. The church exists for when we don't have the support that we need. We come together to worship the Lord with hands raised high. We come together to pray for and edify one another. And we're also here to break bread and to be family. Consider for a moment, and I don't know how many of us have, when we are heaven-bound, this is the family, for everyone who is a believer in here, this is the family who will be there with you. And this might be a heartbreaking truth for some, as many of us have family, family members and dear friends who don't know the Lord. But in times of trouble, the Lord is teaching us to come together and worship Him and serve one another so that we would be able to care for one another now and worship together forever in heaven. Look to your left and your right. This is your family in the faith. And I would ask, are we a dependable family? And this is for every individual in here. When we see that the church has needs... Are we eager to participate as family? Because this is what this is. This isn't a social club. If you want a social club, you can go to the YMCA or the boys club or whatever else. There's a Russian bathhouse somewhere, I'm sure, that you can sweat it out with some other old guys. But this isn't what the church is. This is family who steps up to take care of one another. Amen? So when we hear the needs of the church... 
why are we so disin- or why are we so inclined to disengage? Why do our brothers and sisters not see us eager to fill their needs? And I will say this, this is, while that's a question for every individual in here for you to consider, are you a part of God's family in that capacity? I would say as the pastor, I see a church that is growing in their understanding of this. We have had so many opportunities over this past couple of weeks to fill people's needs here within the church. Not just on the outreach side of things, that has been a whole nother blessing, but here within the church. There was a family here who needed assistance moving a couple weeks ago or last week. They literally couldn't do it. And there was a handful of people who took time out of their entire day. They didn't know them. They just went there and helped them move for the day. It was hot. That's the last thing anybody wants to do on a Sunday. I can guarantee you that's the last thing this family wanted to be doing on a Sunday. But their needs were met because of those who were here who wanted to make sure that their family wasn't lacking anything. And I would like to say thank you on their behalf as your pastor to see you guys walking out these testaments of truth here. You encourage me every single day that I see you guys taking a step up and doing things like that. And if there's any of you who are not taking that kind of initiative, you're not hurting my feelings. I would just say that you're missing out on blessing. You're missing out on the opportunity to see that smiling face say thank you. You're missing out on that opportunity to bless that, that person with a meal. You're, bless, you're missing out on the opportunity to help a new family raise their young one. You're not hurting my feelings. You're not hurting the church's feelings. Again, I'm, this is me coming to you saying, you're missing out. You're missing out on the sweetest moments of life. Yesterday we had as a church, we celebrated a spiritual Super Bowl of sorts as four young men was it four? Four? I think four. Came out to be baptized yesterday. There wasn't a huge crowd of support, but those who were there to support them could. Church, do you realize that we move and strive together so that we would see moments like that? That we would see people make a proclamation of faith and take the time to stand before family and strangers and say that I am committed to following the Lord with every aspect of my life. If that's not, the, that's not one of the major goals of the church, then we have a problem. And guys, it was such a blessing yesterday to be able to take part of that and walk these guys out into the middle of not a calm ocean. That was entertaining. I'm 5'5", five, five, most every wave overtakes me. Thank God Jerry was out there to literally pick us up over the waves. But guys, what a sweet moment to see family come together in that capacity. This church is learning to come together to be a tight-knit family prepared and heaven-bound together. These disciples in their suffering would in fact accomplish the task of getting the word to all of Israel and much more. Judas would not walk with them the entire time, but they would see success in this task. In Matthew 24, 13, as these disciples strived, as they moved forward in suffering in difficult situations, as we're encouraging the church here to do the same, remember, 
This isn't a if you choose to take part thing. This is a commandment given to us by the Lord. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Matthew 24, 13. Brothers and sisters, are we prepared to endure to the end? Are we participating in a fight to endure at all? There are no sideline Christians in the faith. There's no bench players or bench warmers here. We all partake together, amen? But with all of these warnings that he gives the church, we get to this last bit here in 24 through 25. I'm actually doing okay on time. Verse 24 reads, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? We see this as a call to stay close to the shepherd. Now, we've gone over this review the past couple weeks but he's looking at a disciple and a servant here. And again, we're, for those of you who have seen this note, I apologize, but it's important we go over this. A disciple, this word mathetes, a learner, a pupil, and again, disciple. Within Christianity, this specifically means to be a follower of Christ in all of his teachings. It means that you are moving forward in agreement to bear all the word of God and to walk in obedience to it. All right, check me out here for one second. Everybody right here. A Christian is not somebody who attends church. Anybody can do that. A Christian is a disciple of Christ who chooses to walk obediently according to all of his calls and commands. If you have chalked up your faith to your attendance on a Sunday, I can assure you when you stand before the Lord, he's not going to ask how many Sundays you attended. He's going to evaluate you on one standard and it's whether he knew you or not. And brothers and sisters, I can say that anybody who would tout the name Christian but not walk in any of its Standards may not know the Lord. We are called to be disciples, followers, cross-bearers. To parse out the things we like and don't like about Jesus doesn't make us a disciple of Christ at all. We've noted this before. It makes us a disciple of us. When we read through Scripture and we're like, okay, I like that, I can do that. Oh, I don't like that so much, I'm going to pass on that. That's you elevating yourself, your desires, your wants, and your, your standards to the place of God. Because you've deemed your evaluation more worthy than Christ's. And so here he's reminding them, you, disciple, are not greater than the teacher. If this is the life I walk, and I will walk this life, this is what Jesus is telling them, you too are going to be called into this. Again, think back to our first note. Let's make this very clear. Jesus is telling them as he's telling us that 
This walk of faith is not going to be easy. Be prepared to hold on tight. Brothers and sisters, are you prepared to hold on tight? And maybe to this point, you might even think, oh, I've never done anything where I need to hold on tight. Consider it today. Who have you been walking with? Have you been walking with a church? Have you been walking with a pastor? Have you been walking with Sunday attendance? Or have you been walking with Christ? Those are very different standards and markers. And these disciples, as they would choose to follow the Lord, they would move out as apostles now, proclaiming this gospel, full of authority. And a suffering apostle is a heard apostle. What does that mean? Is that somebody who is actually living according to the words that they would proclaim is somebody that is worth listening to. Jesus sends these men out full of authority, able to proclaim miracles, or not proclaim, but able to perform miracles and proclaim the word of God. And because they were living through these things and they were being mocked through these things, but still holding tight to the word of God, they were listened to. Brothers and sisters, many of us are not listened to because we don't hold fast to nothing. We don't. We live in a day and age where at this beginning of pushback here in the West, we have learned to quake at the knees and back off of what we believe is true. And then we wonder why nobody listens. Well, why, why would they listen when we don't stand for what we believe to be true? Jesus is encouraging these disciples and us to stay close to the shepherd because trouble is coming. He says here that they would say that he is the master of the house of Beelzebub. They would literally say that. Beelzebub means the devil. Later on in Scripture, we see here in Matthew 12, 22 through 24, as Jesus heals an individual that the Pharisees would say, well, he's casting out demons for the sake of the devil. Which is just an absolutely absurd thing to say. But people will say absurd things to make sure that you seem foolish. This reminder that following Christ does not bring glory outside of his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, the only treasure that you're guaranteed is the treasure that the Lord is holding for you on heaven's side of things. The world is going to come against us. The world is going to fight us. The world is going to slander us. The world is going to malign us. And they're going to do it because they think they're fighting monsters. Have you considered this for a moment? When we're talking about a world that is at enmity with God, it is wholly opposed to everything he teaches. When we preach the gospel and we stand for righteousness, you understand that they perceive that as an attack against them instead of a gracious message. And you seem evil to them because they have been told that the desires of their flesh are good. They have been taught. The enemy has done a wonderful job since creation to make God's standard seem like the wicked thing because it lacks pleasure in the flesh. They can't see that pleasure comes 
from the Holy Spirit, that we strive for heaven, that we're willing to forsake these things for something that is better. You can turn on the news for five minutes and I promise you, you will see that this world that we live in thinks the church is an evil place. And brothers and sisters, that is not new to history. That's been going on for a long time. We just read this testimony of Ignatius, this brother who is just a minister in the church who is perceived as evil, as a monster, was thrown into the Colosseum to literally be eaten by beasts. I think the argument could be made that while our brother was consumed by beasts there, by beasts there, the two lions that consumed him were not the only monsters present in that Colosseum. He would have heard the roar of the lions, and the roar of the lions would have been stilled as he began to chew on his flesh, but then the roar of the rest of the monsters would cheer loudly at his demise. But can we remind ourselves that that's not the last thing Ignatius would hear? That's the last thing that those of this world would hear, but that's not the last thing our brother would hear. Revelation gives us some insight as to something that this brother might have heard in the closing moments of his life. I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God is all, the, our Lord God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is for the righteous deeds of the saints. This brother's last and beginning things he might have heard were the praises that are happening in heaven. Our brother was covered in blood, but put in white linens. Brothers and sisters, the suffering in this world is temporary, and it is certainly not our final thing. I know I'm asking you to consider a lot of things, but as we're getting into a difficult text, remember, difficult text isn't given to us to condemn us, but it's given to us to have us consider something and might even be encouraged, is this is not the end for the believer. This is a transitional moment for us. Brothers, as you move forward, and you are moving through persecution, and if you endure to the end, any suffering you bear on this side of eternity is replaced with white linens and fresh life on the other side. This is but for a moment. But we move forward and endure that those who would hear us in this world might come to salvation. Nietzsche would warn those who would hear him, and it's an interesting warning. It certainly has some biblical weight to it. Beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. For when you gaze into the long abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Something interesting that should have been stated in those moments of the Colosseum, you don't think that you are portraying the very thing that you're trying to eradicate. 
In their deception, they became the thing that they fear. The lies of our enemy have degraded this world into something less than the glory they were created for. While the world's at enmity with us, can I remind us that we don't look at the world as anything less than God's lost creation that he desires. The world has taught those that are lost that they are nothing more than an evolutionary blob. That there's no heaven, that there is no God, that he's never existed, that the church is just a club. The world has been deceived. Some of you are familiar with the... I don't know what to call him. We'll call him pastor, but we'll also call him author and theologian, but C.S. Lewis. Prince Caspian is a book that he wrote, and the premise of this book is that the young men and women would go back into Narnia, but at a different time, and what's happened is that in their absence, the people that now reside there have been convinced that God no longer or has ever existed. In the Chronicles of Narnia, God is portrayed as a lion, and they would say that lions didn't even exist. That all of these things that you heard were a fable, and that violence had come to overtake in the world that they once knew. This world that had been created for joy and for pleasure. The young, <clears throat> one of the young women would go and try to speak to one of the creatures that they used to be able to speak to. And at a kind word, all she would have received is an attack in, in this. As you watch this movie, you'd see this an interaction with a bear and they do talk. But instead of that, she gets attacks and it tries to maul her. And one of the other characters that's walking with them would say <clears throat> of the interaction as they're now looking at this brother or sister who's passed away, you get treated like a dumb animal long enough. That's what you will become. You might find that this place is a much more savage place than you remember. We can look at the world and think many things. But the world is responding to the gospel the way that they have been taught to respond to it. And if we can look at the world with anything other than sorrow, we need to pause and pray. We are being sent out not to have a degrading eye for the world, but to have one that cherishes it. Not more than cherishes Christ or heaven, but we have to look at those that God created the way that God looks at them. He loves them. If he knows you intimately, he knows them intimately. Yes, the world's going to come against us. And they're going to say that we're doing evil things. But as we move forward in this striving, we look on them with love and we learn to abide in Christ. It says, how much more will they, if they say that about Jesus, how much more will they malign you? This word malign means to tend towards evil. The world is going to tend to treat you in an evil manner. And brothers and sisters, if there's anything that encourages us to do is don't be a straggler. If you're weary, ask for help. But it would be foolish to be willing to play at the borders of our faith and think that the wolves won't consume us. Abide in Christ. Walk with him and be prepared for the trouble that is coming 
as we bring this to a close, the thought is, hold on tight to Jesus. We can read a section of scripture like this and think, well, this is going to be a bad day. No, no, no. He's, he's encouraging us to abide closely to him. Church, abide closely to Jesus for the days that are coming. And can I say, when we learn to abide closely to Jesus through persecution like this, when we come together to worship on Sunday, you will certainly have a reason to worship on Sunday. How many of you, when you come to church, have ever, because it wasn't today, right? How many of you have ever come to church and thought, I don't really have, like, I don't, I don't get the point of the songs. Like, I don't understand why people have their hands raised high. I don't understand why people want to clap or sing. How many of you have ever thought that? Fibbers in here. I certainly thought that the first few times I was coming to church. I was coming into a place and I didn't understand, but why? Like, why am I, what's the point of this? I can just turn on the radio and do what they're doing. We come to church thankful for another week of God's blessing, for him having taken us through, enduring through something like this. We come together every Sunday eager to sing about God's faithfulness to bring us from last Sunday because, need I remind us, we're not guaranteed another Sunday. Every time we gather is a reason to Raise our hands and bless the Lord because he is good. Today is the day the Lord has made and we're thankful to be a part of it. And I would say if you're coming to church looking around and wondering or even thinking, I don't have, like I don't want to sing. I don't care to sing. What's the point of singing? What's the, what's the reason for any of this? Then I'd say let's not start with <clears throat> how you should sing, I'd say let's start with how we abide. Let's start with how we would abide in Christ and be obedient to his word, that way we would then be inclined to sing aloud. Is everybody understanding me? This isn't about our ability to sing, this is about our desire to worship because we see that God is good. Brothers and sisters, do we see that God is good? Do you walk in a manner to be able to see that God is good? If you're sitting back and watching Netflix all day, you might miss it because you don't need God to be good when you're just sitting in front of a television. But if we walk according to what he's calling us to walk to and we're going out and we're <clears throat> risking relationships and risking life in proclaiming the gospel, you will need God to be good. Not just to give you words in moments like that, but to comfort you when the situations don't go well. You will lose friends. You will lose relationships, but you will not lose the most important one. All of these disciples would, I've, I'm going to double check this, but I believe they died alone. Physically. But not one of them was alone in the spirit. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be a time when you will not have the person sitting next to you to comfort you, and you will need to understand what it is for the Lord to be your portion. Let's hold on tight to Jesus today as we endure that we might be saved. Amen? Abide in Christ. Let him be your comfort, and your comfort will not be lacking. Let's stand and pray together as we bring this to a close.
<clears throat> and as always, we'll be available at the front for anybody who needs prayer for anything. It doesn't need to just be salvation. If you, if you feel the call to come to the Lord, come and pray with us. We'd love to pray with you. <clears throat> but if you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life, let us join you in prayer and walk out what the Word tells us to do, to be a church that prays for one another. And I would say, because again, we've been in that place, is that there are some of you who need prayer, but for some reason the enemy has allowed you to feel nervous to do so. Don't let the enemy keep you from prayer. Walk in obedience and let the Lord bless you in that obedience and Pray. Let's pray together as a church. If you're in your seats and you don't need prayer, and you see somebody come up for prayer, even though you don't know what it is, the Lord knows what it is. Just pray for that person. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Amen? So, Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, not eager for persecution, but, Lord, willing because you are good. Father, we know that as we walk out in obedience, troublesome times will come. But Lord, your word also tells us that, Father, these moments refine our faith. And so, God, we ask that you would teach us to be willing. That, Lord, you would teach us, Father, how to abide and to see your faithfulness. That, Lord, as we gather together again, if you would allow it and you don't return this week. Lord, we would be a church full of praise because we have things to report about. We have good news to share about how you have been faithful to us this week. We have good news to share about how you saved those that we love this week. Lord, we can be consumed with all the wrong things and forget that, Lord, we're called to point others to you that they would be saved, Lord. In suffering with you, that's one of the highest honors any Christian can be a part of is to be used in the process of seeing a soul saved brought to salvation. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to put that back in a place of celebration and not a place on the back burner. But God, you would give us a desire, Lord, to see others brought to the place of peace that we are now in. That we wouldn't be selfish and try to hold it and conceal it to ourselves, but Lord, that we would be eager to share this blessed assurance that we have. And so God, as we close out now in prayer and in worship, I pray that you would encourage us to sing aloud, to not hold anything back, because Lord, you are always worthy of our praise. Now Father, we would be a church, as Paul would describe it, a, a well-rounded ministry, Lord, that practices confession, that practices evangelism that practices, Lord, care, hospitality, Father. That, Lord, you would teach us what it is to be a family. Lord, we ask all this in your name. Amen.